Welcome to The Catalyst, where we explore creative ideas to spark innovation in an unhealthy healthcare system. I'm your host, Dr. Lara Salyer, a physician and mom of three who is reimagining the way I practice medicine after suffering and overcoming burnout. Join me as I teach you how to optimize flow and catalyze your own revolution in healing. Tune in for candid conversations with leading experts in conventional and holistic healthcare who dare to believe a better future is possible for all of us. Life is made of teeny catalytic moments of immense impact. When strung together, the transformation is magical. Join us and let's color outside the lines. In this episode of the Catalyst Podcast, you're going to meet a Waukegan native. My hometown is Waukegan, Illinois, home of Ray Bradbury, also home of Natalie Rampella. And she's the author of more than 60 books and resources for children, including an insect picture book called The World Never Sleeps, published by Tilbury House. She is a middle grade school teacher. She's written so many novels and also has worked at the Peggy Notebart Nature Museum in Chicago. You can find more about Natalie at natalierompella.com, but enjoy our conversation. We talk all about harnessing the power of flow as an adult, but also as a middle schooler, as a young grade schooler, and how children really inherently know how to captivate this inner magic that is flow. And if we can help align their flow triggers and remove some of those flow blockers, I truly believe that people like Natalie can inspire all of us to become more creative at writing, at art, and just being our authentic self. So enjoy this awesome interview with Natalie Rampella. Welcome to the Catalyst Podcast, Natalie Rampella. She is a girl from Waukegan, home of my roots as well as Ray Bradbury. And there's a connection here because she's also a writer, a teacher. And today we're going to talk all about flow, especially with kiddos. So Natalie, please introduce yourself and thank you for coming on the Catalyst Podcast. Thanks for having me. Um, so I was a teacher for over 10 years. I ended up uh, getting my Master of Education in Science Education, which one of the classes took me to museums and uh, learning about science education at museums. And I ended up getting a job at the Peggy Notabart Nature Museum in Chicago. And cool. I got to write curriculum for them. And uh, through my degree and through science, um, I became interested in writing for children. So I've been writing for children now, maybe almost 20 years. I was going to say, you said 60 different books you've written. That's amazing. So of anybody I should be asking, how do you get into flow? What's your favorite? Do you have your little writing routine? I know Ernest Hemingway and all the best writers had their own little spaces and rituals. And do you have your own little way that you dip into flow? Um, Hmm. It's definitely not sitting at my desk. (laughs) It's when I'm not at my desk. So of course it's places where I don't have paper handy, where I get an idea and then it just kind of, it gets into my head so much. And then finally I'm able to sit and it just kind of flows out. So I love that. Yes. That's so true. Go ahead. Yeah. Uh, Just, there's a lot of planning that happens in my, my brain, you know, so it's just all kind of, I don't even know the right word of it 
stewing in there. Yes, kind yes. Of, yeah, almost like a cocktail of ideas that yes. just sit there and simmer. Yes. And then, you know, usually it takes some kind of, you know, most commonly it's a bilateral activity of some sort, mm-hmm. whether it's walking or running or even just a mindless, like going into the shower and it's yes. like your brain turns off and then suddenly those alpha brain waves come forward and are giving you all those patterns and connections of those thoughts that were sitting, you know? And exactly. so some of the best writers I know have this, like routine where mm, if they can't get that idea to sound right, they just leave the writing and they go take a walk and it's like magic. They come back and suddenly those ideas make sense. Has that ever happened to you? Yes. So walking, running, I play a lot of pickleball. Um, my kids will say a sentence and it's like a aha moment to me of that's what I needed. <laughs> that is awesome. I think it's because our brain is really a predictive machine. Like once we plant those seeds of, oh, I want this idea or this story to come out, like our brains will look for something that fits, you know, sort mm-hmm. of like if somebody does punch buggy yellow, suddenly your brain's looking for all the punch buggies. And exactly. And, yes. you know, it's really the hardest part, I think, as a writer or as a creative is finding a container for those ideas, you know, to mm-hmm. sit and stew. So do you have any favorite places? Do you keep like a junk journal? or do you have an app that you like to type in little ideas or what do you do? Right. So I actually have, and I know the audience can't see it, but I do have this journal where I write down all my ideas. So I just have pages and pages. I think I counted once, I don't know, it's maybe 150 different ideas. So I just write down, even if it's a name, that's a cute name for a dog or something like that in a story, I'll write it down in the date. And then I can always refer back to it and combine ideas and things like that. Love it. That's exactly it. I mean, I have, uh, I used to keep paper journals like yours. I mean, if you can imagine a beautiful journal, you have nice handwriting and it's all like all these pages and you have all this writing and they're so dense. And, and for me, it would be a fun way to go back and realize, oh yeah, I remember what I was thinking of when I, when I heard that name or that, you know, that could make a great little side story to this story and, and then flagging and tagging and highlighting and putting together those things. And for me, it just became impossible because I never had my journal with me. It was always, I'm standing in line at the grocery store with one of my kids. And so ended up, I started finding things like Trello, you know, things I could throw on a list and keep ideas of words that I like or phrases that are interesting. And yeah, it's just, it's modern way of, of connecting those ideas. So do you have a favorite genre that you like to write about? I've actually been getting into science fiction. Cool. (laughs) Yeah. So kind of Ray Bradbury there. Yeah. 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 Um, it's, started to just become fascinating to me. I saw this great TED talk on, uh, with kids, just that connection. Um, a lot of kids who read science fiction end up going into the fields of science and technology. And I had just never made that connection of just the fact that it's what's possible. Science fiction is what's possible. Yes. I I love that idea. And kids inherently are just aware and open to imagination and Mm -hmm. fantasy. If we get them at that age, right? Before things become too logical and and predictive and and they shut down that imagination. So I found what you do very interesting because you like to work with kids to get them into writing and kind of motivate them to recapture that little creative muse that is unfortunately, and I think our society, we tend to put a, a wet blanket on it, you know, before yeah. they come to adulthood. So tell me more about that part of your job. I've been going into schools. I'll do presentations for schools on writing. Um, I've also been able to work with a school and be this writer in residence. So I've gotten to come in about six visits and go through different parts of the writing. I get to see the students again. We get to do some fun activities and it's creative writing. 
I'll sometimes try to use something that they're studying. So um, Lewis and Clark, sustainability, something like that, Perfect. and then put a creative twist on it. So using the information in a different way. So it's kind of fun just because a lot of times they have all these facts, but you like know, you make it fun. You put the icing on top. Fun. Yeah. Right, I love this. Right. So and fun. it's so neat to hear about a writer in residence. In in the previous episode, I had Cheryl Passwater, who was an artist in residence in a hospital. And she would go into the oncology unit and just encourage people to make something with their hands or draw. Mm-hmm. And and like what you're doing is a writer in residence, encouraging kids to just be unafraid of being silly or adding mm-hmm. different ideas to things. Do you have a favorite writing prompt that, you know, you're like, okay, if I'm stuck, I just give them this little prompt and it'll get anybody mm-hmm. to start writing. I know that's a tough question. I'm always looking for the easy stuff, you know, like, right, uh, right. you know, if you had a superpower, what would you do? Like, I didn't know if you had any fun things. No, um, that you- one that I recently used, um, I had watched a movie where I don't know if it's at the beginning of the movie or not, but the family is kind of packing things up in a hurry. And so I'm, um, I was teaching a unit on science fiction. I thought that was kind of a fun prompt of, you know, make a scene where the the people are packing up and then, you know, what would they pack? Where are they going? Why are they going? So that was kind of, I don't know, there's so many different ways they could go with it. So yes, and what I love is, is like, you're bringing this mindfulness into it, which I really think is at the root of all creativity. It's just creative minds are very curious and open-minded and they're noticing details. And so you're drawing these kids back into noticing, well, what would they be packing and how fast are they moving and what kind of verbs or adjectives are they going to have in there? Mm -hmm. And I love that. It's just kind of helping them see that they don't have to keep rushing through life, but pause and see what would, what would that be like, you know? Um, so as you're working with kids, um, do you have any little things that you do to get them to get motivated to, to write? Or, you know, do you just sort of let these events happen on their own cadence? Well, you know, each student is so different. Um, I also teach a class for um, advanced students, uh, fast-paced students. It's a creative writing class, and some students choose to be there. Others, I think their parents put them in the class. Um, and I had one student two semesters and, you know, it sometimes it takes a little longer to get comfortable with the writing. Um, so it was, it was good to have that student for, you know, extended period of time. Um, I found giving them a prompt, they have six minutes to write it. So the, the one I gave you, they have six minutes and then they share them. And a lot of students don't want to read it themselves. This is seventh and eighth graders. So I read it for them. But um, later they have time to write their own piece. And a lot of students choose that piece that they kind of, they had some time now to let it again simmer. You know, we talked about other things and then they choose to go back to that piece. Uh So sometimes that helps. Uh, Having me read it for some reason seems to also make them a little more comfortable. Oh, absolutely. That makes sense. It's that buffer. Um, And what I love is brilliant. You've gamified it. You've given them a concrete container of time because I think a lot of us, when I work with adults and doctors and nurses that I'm doing creative workshops with them, the worst thing you can do is show up with a blank canvas and say, okay, go create. Cause they're like, what, what? And and how long are we going to sit here? This sounds awful. It's not in my comfort zone. It'd be the same thing as giving me any kind of sports equipment and say, okay, Lara, go ahead and play a game. I'd be like, I have no idea. Please tell me how I can leave this room. Um, And so 
what you're doing is providing a tiny little bit of a catalyst moment by saying, I'm going to invite you to try, but it's only going to last this many minutes and Mm -hmm. you see what you can do. And, and by putting a timer on it, it's a container, it's a start and end. And it does, it provides this almost like this dopamine, uh, game for the brain to go, okay, well, let's try it. Let's throw something there, you know? And like you mentioned, every, everybody's brain is different. Some of us are verbal processors. Some of us Mm -hmm. are easy to have lots of words come out of our mouth. Others are like more slow and maybe they want to act it out. And maybe they'd rather you read their thoughts, you know, because it's not as personal. So I love that you've kind of encompassed all of that. And I would love to hear more about your own catalytic moment, because that sounded really cool that, you know, one thing happened and it's like, now you've written 60 books. You're talking about the picture book that it all started. Right. So I was taking a chemistry uh, for teachers class. Um, As I said, I have an MED in science education and we had to do a final project of our choice. And I decided to write a picture book kind of first time doing it. And the professor really liked it. It had a lot of science content in it, but it had guinea pigs as characters. Um, And he said, you should try to get this published. So I, you know, kind of got me started. I had never really considered that as a career. And with my background in science education and being a teacher, it kind of opened the door for me. So that's brilliant. And that's so amazing because it really is, showing that all of us as adult humans, we, we worry about being good at whatever art that is or putting our ideas out there. And sometimes it's just to birth an idea that's yours and who cares what other people think. And it's easier said than done. I think I'm sure you felt that way. Like, okay, I'm going to do this project. And then having somebody say, wow, that's actually really neat. You should publish it is like, are you kidding? That's validation. And sometimes that's all the nudge we need to explore. Well, what if, what would that look like? So does your life now, do you have like a publishing house? Do you self-publish? Tell me more about how you get your books. Um, So a lot of them are through the educational market. Uh, I send in a writing sample and then if it matches the style they're looking for, I'll do work through them. So I've done uh, the posters you see on classroom walls. Those are, you know, obviously written by somebody. I don't do any of the artwork. I just put a note of what kind of art I want. Um, I've done workbooks um, and then, of course, picture books, middle grade novel. They're each with a different publisher. So um, I'm always matched with an illustrator. That's awesome. I would love to learn more about that because that's that's really neat that you're able to. And that's the other thing is a lot of people think, well, I might be uh, having a few creative skills, but boy, I couldn't do all the illustrations and the writing and that, you know, but that's why you ask who, not how, you know, there's people out there that can finish and fill in the voids that you might not feel comfortable doing, you know? Well, and I think something that I always try to stress with students um, is it's really not about being published either. It's having fun. Yes. Um, And so even as adults, I think a lot of people go into it, you know, they really want to be published, but it's such a journey Mm -hmm. and you have to enjoy it. (laughs) Oh my goodness. It's a very long journey to having, Mm -hmm. you know, like um, I have a novel, uh, Cookie Cutters and Sled Runners, I started it before my daughter was born. And by the time it was published, she was old enough to read it. So, (laughs) right. Right. I think that's, that's a great example, Natalie, because yeah, it, 
it's not easy. Um, certainly there's many ways to publish. There are certain, mm -hmm. uh, companies you can actually, if you're like an academic person, you just want to get like a guide or a manual out there. You can be interviewed by a company. They can publish it for you <laughs> under your name. So there's many flavors, but if it's truly a work of your creative art and you want to have your story told, it should be a labor of love, like birthing a baby. And it can have so right. many trimesters. It, it feels like quadmesters, maybe quintmesters. I don't know. There's <laughs> feels like forever. Um, yes. And just having that and, and understanding the joy of creating something and mm -hmm. that there's really going to be however long it takes, you know, and right. I love that you're doing that. So when we talk with kids, I think the idea of getting them into flow from some of the research I've read, kids are inherently flow aware. They're very understanding of that language that, you know, creating or collaborating feels good. I mean, mm -hmm. when they start going into a recess game and they can pick people on their team. They're going to pick kids that they know, Hey, I know I've seen them pass the basketball. They're really good. Right. I know how to predict their body motions. And so those kids are going to get into flow because they've picked and orchestrated that team that effortlessly plays together. Cause they know right. that they'll feel good when they go back to class and they can concentrate better and they have more well being. Um, and so sometimes I think as adults, we tend to just get in their own way, you know? And I think right. if we release some of these expectations, like, you know, as you know, as a teacher sitting in class is the one way to learn. And we know that right. like some, some brains need to be moving and some brains right. need to have breaks and some brains need to, you know, almost wait till the last minute and then they produce the best work, you know? Yes, um, so that's kind of how adults procrastinate too. We're trying to get ourselves into flow. So when we actually procrastinate, it's actually our brain saying, okay, this task is kind of boring. So if we amp up the risk and we leave it to the last minute, we actually will get into flow better. And so that's why we tend to procrastinate is maybe, you know, that, that whole thing isn't really in, intriguing our, our best interest. So we're kind of bored with it. And so we leave it to the last minute. Um, a lot of um, artists and creators will leave a project semi unfinished so that the next day they can start, you know, like kind of knitting and you leave that last stitch yes. and then you, do you ever do that with your yes, writing? Yes, I do. Uh, when I'm writing a novel, I will kind of leave it at a point um, where I'm still inspired and I can then sit down the next day. And it's not just, I didn't leave where I've kind of finished my thought and then I have to start fresh the next time. It's ready for me. It's ready to right. go. <laughs> That's beautiful. A lot of writers do that. I mean, I guess Ernest Hemingway was famous for doing this. He would leave half a sentence, you know, just oh, not wow. even finished. And I can't and I do think, that. <laughs> no, me neither. But I do know that I had to stop myself to not go back and edit. Like that's the mm -hmm. biggest thing is like when you pick right. up, I think a lot of us have to train ourselves to be more kid-like and just start throwing paint on the canvas. Just start mm -hmm. writing words that make no grammatical ideal sense yet, because you're just trying to get those ideas out there. Mm -hmm. And we tend to take our adult eyes and look and go, oh, wait, let me read that paragraph I wrote yesterday afternoon. And then you start tweaking yes. that, that comma and you're like, oh, that doesn't sound right. And so like the, the hardest thing I think for adults is to learn just to start writing, just write mm -hmm. it out and it'll sound like garbage, you know, yes. and, and the editing will happen later. And the same with painting or dancing or sculpting. Mm -hmm. um, and do you ever notice that there's an age difference when you're working with kids? Like, is it easier for you to work with the younger kids? Cause they're more fearless or mm. do you have an age that you're like, Ooh, by this age, I can sense that they're a little more embarrassed or, or scared to be out there. Hmm. I, I enjoy middle schoolers the, the most. Um, Bless you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Uh, that's a really good question. With the seventh and eighth graders, I think I really just have to open up to them to really get them to open up to me. Uh, and it, you do have to, you know, it takes years of, of working with them to, to notice exactly what they're needing and, and respect the fact that, as I said, I need to read their piece for them and give yes. them some space. And as you said, give them some time. So I, I love that about them. Um, and they don't get as much time to write creatively as some of right. the littler kids do. You know, they're often writing the essays or the nonfiction. So I don't know. I really just enjoy giving them that chance. And that is I'll, nice. Yeah. And, you know, I think that that would be something that I'm sure, even if they don't admit it, because, you know, middle school is a tough age, <laughs> you know, they're trying to like still be excited about things, but, but look cool. You know, you can't be too excited, right. you know, can't right. be too energetic, but you're giving them that gift of permission and psychological safety. Those two things are essential to thawing out our prefrontal cortex, which is like our executive decision-making brain. That's like, you can't do this. Our ego, our, you know, all that stuff is like, eh, it's firm in the front and in middle school, you know, they're learning what their peers think is cool and doesn't, you know, and so they're starting to really be more aware of that in a new way. And you're giving them permission and then also psychological safety, because we can't engage in creativity if we're feeling chronically stressed or under threat. Mm -hmm. um, and that's just how it works in our brain. You know, our amygdala is very um, emotionally, it, it helps air traffic control of our emotions. And so that's why when kids come to school, if they have, you know, no breakfast or a volatile home life, it's hard for them to learn. And the same thing with creativity, yeah. but also creativity has the advantage that it can be purposeless. It can be for fun and it can be a way to process stress and a right. way to get rid and, and move through and, and help those emotions of, you know, getting out the anger or the sadness in writing. Um, right. Have you inspired any kids to want to publish their books? Uh, my daughter. <laughs> ah! Yeah, she, she actually last summer, I think it was, wrote a complete novel. What? Yeah, fantasy That's novel. amazing. How old yeah. is she? Uh, she would have been 12. That's awesome. Um, but yeah, I, I just, um, I've had students come back and, you know, tell me what they're working on now. So that's always exciting. That is really good. Yeah. Do you have your own um, writing habit where every day you do like morning pages or are you more inspired by the project and you're like, oh, now I'm going to work on this project? You know, I used to want to finish all my morning tasks before I started writing so I could sit down and write. It took me, I don't even know, 15 years to finally realize I write best like first thing in the morning. So I was like not using the best the time I was most productive. So I kind of had to really be mindful and think about when am I most productive? When do I feel the most creative too? I guess that's more than yes. productive is when am I the most creative? Um, sometimes before bed, I'll be like, oh, I really wish I could, you know, go down there and write. So um, yeah, as for routine, I, I work best when the house is empty. <laughs> yes. Oh my goodness, girl. Yes, uh, absolutely. And I think you've, you've hit on it. The most creative time or ease of ideas, I would say also becomes your most productive time if you hit yes. that peak, right? Yes. Like if you respect your own cadences, your own circadian rhythms, whatever, mm -hmm. everybody's peak time is different. And that's the other thing about a flow cycle. Like 
part of flow cycles in a brain is there's a little bit of struggle that has to begin a flow cycle because flow Mm -hmm. neurologically is a delicate balance between skills and, and challenge. So if there's too much of a discrepancy and the challenge is too hard, I mean, you're not going to get into flow. It feels overwhelming. Actually, it will cause more stress. And then if it's too boring, then you've got like no interest at all. You won't get into flow. So the interesting part is research shows that the only difference between that has to be 4%. So The challenge has to be 4% higher than the skills that you currently have. And that's just enough of a carrot for you to go, oh, I want to do it. Like I want to start. And once that start, that starts, you have a release, which is usually, usually a nitric oxide release in the brain, like an epiphany and aha, you start to dip into flow, which is a beautiful cocktail of all these good neurotransmitters. And it it lasts anywhere. It can be as short as like five minutes to 90 minutes. Some people can get into flow all day, Mm -hmm. but the problem is is we forget the last part of a flow cycle, which is recovery. And sometimes we can burn out and flow. Like we're so into it and we're so going. And then all of a sudden there's like no gas in the tank. You forgot to eat, you know, you're tired. Um, And so that's where I tell people to set a timer and actually plan those exits. Okay. In 90 minutes, a timer is going to go off and I'm just going to get up and I'm going to go for a walk, you know, or I am going to do something completely different to just reset and maybe do some deep breathing um, because flow is, is so powerful. But I think the best gift you're giving these kids is looking inside your body to tell, have your body tell you when the best time it is for you to be creative. I mean, not everybody works in the morning. Some people work better at night. So I think that is a great way for kids to unlock when they're feeling kind of stuck. Like, I don't know. I don't know what to do. Just have them do what you did. Like, a little inventory, be your own detective. Well, when do you feel right. like it's the easiest, maybe not saying the most creative. Cause then they get stuck on that word creative. Like, well, I don't know. And just say, well, when do things come really easy to you? Is it morning? Is it noon? You know, um, that's one way that kids can become a little more self-aware, especially in middle school. I think with tinier kids, they just know, you know, oh yeah. yeah. You know, they just, they're, they're off and running. They're easy for right. flow. Um, do you work with high schoolers too? Um, I haven't really worked with high schoolers. No. Yeah. Yeah. I think middle school is a great, like almost like a pivot point, you know, they're like almost they're old enough to like understand what you're doing and the science of it and, and still have that innocent excitement that could be really fun. Um, so if you had like a magic wand and you could give the gift of creative writing to every middle Mm -hmm. schooler, what would that look like to you? What would you envision like every middle schooler graduating from middle school, going as a freshman into high school? What would you like them to know about creative writing? I think to me, something that I just recently realized is when you write, um, you have to get to a point where you have pride in what you wrote, where you want to not necessarily share it with other people, but you want to hold on to it. You know, I don't know about you, but I have a lot of pieces I wrote in elementary school. <laughs> Yeah, it's something that I was proud of that I wrote and I want uh, students to get to that point. And, you know, I think everybody has a different interest. So somebody might enjoy writing nonfiction or poetry or songs, you know, that they find what it is that really helps them enjoy writing. So I just, and as you said, with flow, you know, I, I love when I'm teaching a class and get to the point where the kids, their parents have come to get it's a night class so their parents come to get them and they're still writing you know and their parents have to wait for them I think that's where you know I feel successful and I feel like this the student has become successful 
Oh, that's a great feeling. I can imagine yeah. that'd be almost like your little gold star. Like, Ooh, <laughs> I did it right. Yes. You know, because yes. th- that should be exciting for them. And, and I think even with this technology now, like this is the cool part I found is that anybody could write a book because there's so much great supportive technology. If you can't write or you can't type or your ideas come so fast that you can't even sit down to, to organize them, you can talk it out and you can have somebody transcribe it for you. I mean, right. that's the coolest part about being a writer is really anybody can do it, you know? Mm-hmm. And yeah. I like that you're instilling in these young minds, like creative writing can be, you know, cathartic, can be fun. And, you know, let's stop using the word cringe. I mean, all of us will look back <laughs> and even our writing when we're little can be kind of funny and silly and cringe as my daughter would say, but <laughs> it's still a part of you. It's still part right. of your growth. And it's really interesting to see how you peel back the layers of your own onion of, of evolving your writing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm trying to think of other things. Let's see, when you work with middle schoolers, have you ever had one that just absolutely did not want to play your reindeer games? And they were like, nope. I don't know. I guess I kind of see that as a challenge of yeah, just trying something different. Um, you know, I also, it seems sometimes when kids, just hearing what other kids are writing makes a difference. Uh, if they can't write, can they at least comment on somebody else's or something like that? Yes. Oh, I love yeah. this. It's almost like Pinterest for writers, you know, <laughs> um, because like there's a collective contagiousness that creativity has. Yes. Right. And I feel like, and I forget the name of the website, but my daughter years ago when she was in middle school, she was describing like almost like a fan website where you could put your own work up there. And oh, it was like sort a fan of, fiction type thing. Yes. Almost okay. like a fan uh-huh. fiction where you could put your own short stories and people could read them and comment. Okay. And it was a very collectively good place. I thought at first, mm-hmm. like, oh, I don't know if I'd want people reading and commenting, but it wasn't editing. It was more just appreciation. Like, mm-hmm. oh, I like how you made that story end up, or I like mm-hmm. this. And I think that's a great way, like Pinterest is to help us all learn from different ways people can do things. It, right, it just right. would be great. So do you have any apps or anything that is your go-to for creative writing? Wow. I guess I need to move into the... <laughs> No, I, I don't, I can't think of any apps that I know. No. Yeah. I didn't know. School. I didn't know. If there's, yeah. Well, Hey, I feel not so bad. Cause I don't know any either. I know that there's two kinds. There's the, the, uh, people that just sort of write it out in like word or Google document. Yeah. And then there's those that write in, Oh, what's it called? Is oh, it Evernote? Like Scrivener or, something or Scrivener. Like yes. Yeah. Scrivener. No, I yeah. just, um, I mean, for a while there, I wouldn't even switch over to typing it as I go. I would have to handwrite it. So I've, I've moved on. I now type on the computer. Um, I was finding for a while fiction I needed to handwrite. And if I were writing something more factual, I could go right to typing it. Um, That's yeah, amazing. I have not really gotten into any apps. That's awesome. Yeah, I, I have. I'm not aware of some. I mean, there are some journaling apps and things like that. But yeah, I'm sure I'm sure there's some out there. And if uh, listeners have any to comment, please definitely uh, write us because I love hearing new technology that helps people be more creative and make use of their fun ideas. My only contribution to the creativity idea, you know, container is Trello. That's just my favorite right now. I used to use the notes app on my phone just because, you know, ideas happen at the weirdest times. Right. See, I email myself. Yes. Oh my (laughs) gosh. Constantly I'll wake up. It's mostly before bed. So I'll wake up to a whole bunch of emails from myself with like a single word, which I don't remember what it means, but (laughs) yes. Oh my goodness. 
Yes. And, or I would text myself and I'd be like, what does blue train mean? I have no right. idea, yes. you know? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And then eventually our brain will figure it out. Oh my goodness. Well, I'm so, so thrilled that you have been a guest here and you're teaching yeah. kids how to still stay creative and you know, be happier. Um, I wish more adults would rekindle their own creative writing and inner muse. Um, So I'm very glad. And those kids are lucky to have you as a teacher. I think this is important for all of us to process life through creativity. There's lots of post-traumatic growth that can happen. Um, So thank you again, Natalie. If people want to work with you or learn more about you, where can they find you? Yeah. Uh, They can go to my website. It's just natalierumpella.com. I don't know if you're able to put that I'll put it right in the show notes. Yes. Yeah. But I I hope that adults, especially, you know, it's one of those things, the more busy you are, the more you need to, you know, kind of let your brain be creative. So I hope uh, adults don't write off being, you know, just writing something just for fun, not worry about getting it published, but even just for their grandchild or something, you know, it's, it's so much fun. I love that, especially, oh, you just reminded me of something, is um, StoryWorth. Have you heard of that? That's a way that um, family members can write their stories down for like their grandchildren. So you're seeing a lot of this resurgence of embracing creativity. So StoryWorth is one of those that I've seen pop up. And I like what you just said about just embracing creativity for fun. And it doesn't have Mm -hmm. to be original. Like you can, like you said earlier, um, I like to have a practice where you take somebody else's writing and go, well, what would I change about it? What if it wasn't a cow? Maybe it's a horse. What if the sky is green and not blue? And like that gets those wheels greased a bit, especially if you're an adult that hasn't played with creativity in a while. And just we're much better at judging others work than we are at creating our own. So sometimes just being a pretend, you know, critique, you know, offering yeah. your your changes to previous writing would be a fun exercise. And yeah. Yeah. So thank you, Natalie, for coming on the podcast and we will definitely appreciate all of your work. I'm going to check out some of your books. So everybody head to natalierompella.com and keep coloring outside the lines.